All right. Hello, everybody, and good morning. And thank you for joining us again on the PCICS podcast, the go-to podcast for pediatric cardiac critical care and the official podcast of the Pediatric Cardiac Intensive Care Society. On this episode of the podcast, we have another news talk edition. And on this news talk, we're going to be talking about the annual meeting, which just finished in Miami. My name is David Warho, and I'm a cardiac intensivist at UC San Diego, and we have a ton of guests on our program today, so I'm just going to allow all of them to introduce themselves. Why don't we go first with our co-hosts, Sadie, Deanna, and Lillian? Hi, my name is Sadie Rodriguez. I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. Hi, my name is Deanna Zanatos, and I'm a pediatric cardiac intensivist at Norton Children's Hospital, the University of Louisville. And my name is Lillian Sue. I am uh, the medical director of Phoenix Children's. All right. And we have our meeting organizers or meeting pairs, Kristen and Jason. Why don't you introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Kristen Diller. I'm a CICU nurse practitioner at Cincinnati Children's. And hello, I'm Jason Buckley. I am a cardiac intensivist at the Medical University of South Carolina. And then we have two additional guests, Bistra and Casey. Hi, I'm Bistra Jalewa. I work at Children's HeartLink. I'm the non-clinician on this, in this group, and uh, I lead our advocacy and global strategy activities at Children's HeartLink. Great to be here. And hi, I'm Casey Bohr. I'm a nurse practitioner in the CICU at University of Maryland Children's Hospital. Well, thank you all for joining us on this episode. And I think this is just always one of my favorite episodes to relive the meeting, um, especially while it's so fresh in our minds and just talk about all the things that we learned and share with all of our listeners um, what our main takeaways from the meeting were. So before we get into the specifics, um, Jason and Kristen, do you want to talk a little bit about your experience at the meeting after going through all these years of work to organize it and then finally being there in Miami and seeing it come to fruition? Sure. I mean, I think um, it was a lot of work that went into it. And I, my overall impression was feeling just like it felt like home to be back in Miami with people who we've been seeing via Zoom with headphones on for two plus years now. Um, And it just felt comfortable. And I I was very proud of um, all of the work that the committee put together um, and I thought it was uh, just a success overall and just went home feeling uh, rejuvenated and, you know, ready to take on the next thing, which I always leave this meeting feeling like. But um, it was felt a little bit different um, after being in charge of making sure it was um, everything went off without a hit. Yeah, I echo, you know, a lot of the sentiments that, that Kristen has. Um, it was a lot of work. I mentioned it yesterday in our handover meeting to the incoming co-chairs for the program committee. But um, one of the things that was great was just to meet Kristen in person. Uh, we got to know each other really well over the last two years and to finally connect in person, uh, was awesome, which is really what, what the meeting's all about is, um, you know, the return to in-person collegiality and connections and shared learning and shared commiserating about some of the struggles that we all go through. Um, so, uh, it was awesome to see, the hard work of the committee, you know, and the vision that the committee had from day one um, come to life. Um, It was really neat. Hey, Jason and Kristen, having served on the program committee and having had the kind of behind the scenes look, I saw how much preparation you guys did as the co-chairs of the program committee. And I think a lot of people don't really get that. And so maybe if one of you could just go through the actual process of 
selecting topics and selecting speakers because you were both so deliberate in making sure that there was a diversity of institutions and speakers and making sure people's people whose voices were not heard previously were amplified in this meeting. And so I don't think people always get to know the behind the scenes look. So would love to hear your perspectives on that. All right, I'll, I'll start off. Um, you know, one of the one of the things I've done over the last week or two since the meeting uh, as part of the handover process and, and as part of reflection was to go back to a document that create, we created really with the committee uh, I believe at the first or the second meeting uh, to really outline and put to paper what our vision was for for the meeting you know, back in twenty early 2021 when we were planning for December of 2022. So I'll just read it for for you all because it resonated with me when I went through each of the eight statements that we made. So, and these were in no particular order. This was just kind of what we came up with as a committee. Um, emphasis on the science of pediatric cardiac intensive care was number one, describe the current state of the art and predict the next standard of care. Overt efforts uh, or being deliberate to improve diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. Uh, highlight high-performing CSU teams and share strategies for achieving excellence. Utilize virtual platforms to expand our reach and global influence. In-person networking and collegiality, we hope, because we didn't know if we were going to be in person in January of 2021. And then have fun, smile, and laugh. Enjoy the careers that we have all chosen. Um, and when I went back and looked at it, you know, I started to think about lots of moments throughout the meeting where, uh, you know, I hope that, um, I hope those statements and that vision, you know, shine through and resonated with the attendees. Absolutely. I think you guys were definitely successful in meeting all of those goals. Um, I think everyone, everyone's nodding. I know our listeners can't see, but I really do think that this meeting, obviously being the first in person in a while was very invigorating. And you really did share science and innovations and the future state of the art and diversity and so many of those things. It's interesting to hear how intentional you were and then to see the, the product of it in the end. So great job with the meeting to both of you and to the entire program committee. Yeah. Jason, as you're reading those back, it was absolutely like a mirror of what I experienced at the meeting. And I wanted to ask you, as Lillian was talking about all the decisions and the work, it just naturally in my mind, I was curious, like, how do you make so many decisions and keep a consistent message or intention? What do you use as like an internal compass? And you sharing that mission or vision that you guys came up with was so, um, thank you for sharing that. Such a beautiful insight to know what sort of guided you, what was your intention? And I hope to reflect back to you that certainly was, was experienced. Uh, thanks. Thanks for saying uh, those kind of words, Sadie. I, I, you know, I hope everyone felt the same way. I guess, you know, to be more specific, you know, answering Lillian's question and Kristen, you know, feel free to chime in or, or correct me. Um, that was probably more the why of of what, what we did, but the how, I guess, getting back to the nuts and bolts of it, it was really a team effort. The committee, it was lots of other PCICS members who helped along the way, co-chairs of other committees, you know, monthly meetings, being really thoughtful about the content that we were piecemealing into the grid and centering us with that, that kind of vision statement, going back to it periodically to make sure that we were 
honoring those ideas and values that we came up with as a as a group. And then the decisions were a lot of times made as a group. You know, we really tried to um, honor the system of 25 brains are smarter than two. But uh, at times there were some text messages and emails and decisions that Chris and I had to make along the way as part of the role. Yeah, I think we, I don't know, I feel like I learned and grew a lot along the process. Like when we took over from Lindsay and Nikhil, I felt kind of, I think Jason and I both used the phrase like we were drinking from a fire hydrant um, and (laughs) overwhelmed. But I think having a vision of where we wanted to go really helped us stay a little bit grounded. And when we did have to just like make decisions, we kind of could use that as a basis for why we were making the decision. And it made it a little bit easier to, you know, say this is why we chose to do this um, and back up our our decisions because the the vision was pretty strong from the get-go. And we'd be we'd be negligent if we didn't mention the mention you know all of the hard work and assistance from the management committee, uh, Kara Stokowiak and Lee Clausen from IMI, uh, the executive leadership committee or like executive leadership team at PCICS who helped with you know many of the important decisions for the meeting. Uh, there were lots of people that helped along the way. I love that have fun made the list with excellence and um, high quality and research science and have fun made that list. I think that's great. I, I loved that how fun made the list too, because it's so fun connecting with people who are passionate about this work, um, just like, you know, we all are. And I really liked meeting new people, but also being able to see people who I worked with and no longer work with and just the connections between people who do the same thing that, that you know, we do is really fun. I think um, one of my favorite things about this society, and I've been a member of the society now, I think for at least 13 years, and just looking back and thinking about and watching the evolution, and I felt like this meeting was a full circle moment of the strive towards inclusivity and a true reflection of exactly what you were referencing before, Jason. We as a profession are all about the team, right? The cardiac ICU only functions because we have this team mentality, which I think is different from a lot of other specialties in medicine. And we, the society is so inclusive. We have SIGs for all the different groups of people. And one of the things that I noticed is the inclusion of the parent, which is very much a part of our team. And I think maybe it was just because we haven't met in person in a couple of years, but but it, you guys were so intentional and so good about creating content that really was applicable to the team as a whole. And I loved the addition of the parent representative and the spotlight that was shown on them. And I just was wondering, you know, how how did you guys come to that? What was the thought process behind that? We wanted to focus, I think, on multidiscipline in general. So having like nursing involved in each session or parents involved in a session wherever we could. And I think as a committee, we really looked at where we could plug in parents that would be the most valuable. And I think the sessions that they ended up speaking in were were really um, their experience and voice were very relevant. I think we see them all the time on social media and Christy did an amazing job. Um, Honestly, I was unsure of how the parent voice would fit in because we haven't done that frequently. We've had parents on the panels and we've had parents give talks, but we haven't really had them interwoven as much as we did this time. And so I wasn't sure how that would go um, and if their voice would 
be heard. But I really felt like the parents that were chosen were the perfect fit and they really elevated those sessions. Yeah, I thought I thought that was really special and uh, a great reflection of just the progress of the society and the society's commitment to including the whole team. Yeah. And I might even go as far to say that I actually learned more from some of the parents that spoke than from some of the physicians and scientists. So just having that as a more integral part really actually elevated the learning experience, I think, for everybody as well. Yeah, I agree, David. We do. We have conversations with parents of our patients all the time, but you're in such an activated state. The parent is in such an activated state. The situation is so acute that having that reflection piece that the parent was able to provide in this meeting, in preparation for these talks and talking about past experience and current experience, but but stepped away a little bit really was so helpful and insightful. And and I agree. I mean, I I really perked up and and all of laser focused when they were speaking because it was so interesting and it's such a rare opportunity to have that experience and that conversation and perspective. So thanks guys for doing that. I thought that was a, a great addition. If I can add, I would uh, really encourage the society to include family members as much as possible. And I think that there is a tendency in the field to include the parents and the families of the most complex patients, which certainly take the most time and the most attention in the ICU. But there is, I think, a space to talk to every kind of experience and to learn from every kind of experience. I mean, there's a lot of kids who don't spend a lot of time in the ICU. They still have families that get affected by this, and it's still a traumatic experience for them. Their parents all over the world experiencing exactly the same things. I just wanted to say thank you, you know, for all, all the kind observations and words. A, a quick, like, funny anecdote about what you all are talking about. So Kristen and I are watching some of the recordings, you know, many, almost all of the talks were recorded and, and we'll, we're working on the process to make them, make them available for offline viewing after the meeting. So I'm trying to, um, you know, screening for audio and, and vis- video quality and things like that, but also watching some of the sessions that I wasn't able to make it to due to simultaneous breakouts. So I finally got to watch the mental health session that you were a part of, David, and Christy Wolf was a parent speaker at, towards the end of that. And I had to shut the door to my office because I was getting choked up and emotional you know, the way she told the story with pictures, you know, over the holidays, I had some family over and my mother-in-law was standing in the kitchen. I was making some meatballs. Uh, and she asked me, she said, you know, Jason, I've known you for 20 years and I don't think I really know what you do at the hospital. And my parents were standing there and they said, yeah, we, we kind of know what you do too, but we don't, we don't really know what you do on a day-to-day basis. And I, as I was watching Christy's talk, I was like, man, I think I just want to show my family Christy Wolf's talk about her experience from a family member perspective, uh, navigating cardiac surgery, the recovery process, and all that comes with it, uh, because she told it so eloquently and beautifully um, and honestly, and in a way that I could never tell it to my family members or, or others. So uh, I really 100% agree with all of you that that perspective is uh, incredible, motivating, invigorating, and needed more of um, across all meetings in our field. I love that you shared that, Jason. I I think many of you guys know that I uh, am always thinking about robots versus humans. 
And I really think the amplification of an individual story through the use of technology, which is now possible, especially through social media. And I, I also thought the social media session was also just so wonderful. And there was also a parent there talking about how she uses social media to create digital communities so that she can have other people that have gone through what she's going through to connect with because they may not be present more physically locally. And I think that the use of technology to be able to amplify everyone's story, including yours, Jason, and each of ours as we go through our everyday lives will help people understand just the different worlds that people really live in. Because like you said, you can be living in the same household with someone and if there were a way for them to truly understand through the use of video or audio what it is that you go through every single day, that will just enrich our lives so much more. So I love this potential that's coming as individuals are now empowered through the use of technology to amplify their voice. And Bisha, just to go back to what you said about making sure we include families of people who go through what we consider less traumatic ICU stays, it's still very traumatic. Yeah. I think of patients who are getting a pacemaker. And when I was going through training and in my early faculty years, I always thought, oh, it's just a pacemaker. But if you speak to one of these families of a child getting a pacemaker, that is a life altering event, not just for the child, but the family as, as well. And I think because of what we see every day with all the pumps and the drips and the open chests and the ECMO, we can sometimes lose that perspective. So thank you for thank you for bringing that back to us and making sure that we also hear the voices of people who go through what is very traumatic for each each of them. And one more thought, and then I'll let folks move on. But um, you know, we throw around the phrase "connect to purpose" a lot, and you know, one of the folks who got up and to the mic and asked the question after Christy's talk at the mental health session, I, I think was said she was a nurse for 30 years. She was choked up and she just said, thank you, you've revived me. And immediately I thought about, you know, the situation that so many of our hospitals are in with burnout and staffing crisis, not just at the, at the bedside nursing level, obviously other disciplines, all disciplines have been affected over the years, uh, but so much so at the bedside nursing level that I started to think, wow, there's real power here in the in the way this story was told because it, it was felt by the folks who were at the meeting and me just watching it, watching a slide presentation in my office. I think you're right, Jason, that uh, that is so powerful, the being able to see where these kids and their, their families are, you know, weeks, months, years after their cardiac ICU say is so meaningful for the people who do this work. And it's so powerful for uh, our mental health as people who work in such an intense field to see their joyful moments and their moments that they get to spend as a family because of their stay with us. And I think it's so invigorating for the healthcare providers who have taken care of those families to be able to see the, the, the outcome, the happy moments and see the family when they're not under this terrible um, stress. All right. I want to talk a little bit about something else that Jason sort of alluded to. And maybe I'm a little bit of a Debbie Downer, but 
One of the things that I didn't like about the meeting, which obviously is unavoidable, was that there was so much good stuff happening all at the same time, and I couldn't experience it all. And I had such FOMO because, like, I was speaking in one session, and then I was hearing everybody talk about, like, oh, this was going on at the same time. Um, so it's very exciting to me that you mentioned that there are potentially going to be some recordings that our our members can have access to to sort of pick up where they left off or to experience the sessions that they didn't get to go to. I, I know that we don't have much details about how that's going to be available, but um, do you want to just talk a little bit about the thought process for the breakout sessions and having things simultaneous and um, and the recordings? Sure. We um, actually, I mean, I also felt like I wanted to go to some of the sessions that I couldn't go to because I was moderating or had another um, duty to uh, take care of. So I'm excited that we're going to be able to offer um, the sessions online um, through our LMS. We are still working through the details of exactly how they're going to be available to the society, but um, we will get that information out in an email blast as soon as we have more details. Um, And we are in the process of working through uh, viewing all the audio and making sure that it's up to par to get uploaded into the system. Great. Thank you so much for doing that. I think that our members will really um, benefit from that. I want to dive in now because we talked a lot about the the family perspective, but um, another major group of people that was represented at this meeting that hasn't been represented in past PCICS meetings as much um, is the bedside nurse. Yeah, David, I also made a similar observation that it felt so intentional this year to really highlight the bedside nurses, the value of them to really celebrate them. And it, I was joking that it felt like a warm hug and it felt the word that kept coming to my mind was partnership. And it just felt like we as a group really wanted to celebrate them as, as our partners and really acknowledge their their value and all that they bring. I don't know if anybody else felt that way. I also want to say that it was wonderful to see how many nurses were represented. This is probably from that perspective. It is probably the most diverse meeting that I've ever attended. Um, um, and I, I actually think that um, bringing bedside nurses uh, brings a perspective that we normally don't discuss in scientific meetings. Um, because there's uh, not many bedside nurses who get involved in science and academia. Um, and so I think it was uh, it's great to be um, to be offering that space to um, to nurses to be there um, and, um, and and giving that as an example actually to other disciplines and other specialties that um, this is an important piece. Nurses are should always be considered an integral part of the multidisciplinary team. Um, and um, I think that's definitely, you could see it in this meeting. I agree with Bishra and Sadie. I think the session with the inaugural Nursing Excellence Award, I, I may not have the name of that award quite correct, but that session was fantastic. And like Jason, I found myself getting choked up back there when they were showing the videos from all the different institutions about the bedside nurse. And we... Um, are are working some of us are working on doing a podcast with the nurse uh with the with the nominees for that award and I'm so excited to do that and one of the things that I'm I'm 
hopeful for and what I think largely because of your all's vision to do this was to is that this will spur the involvement of more bedside nurses in the society and I think their perspective is so important and I think it's also um, a way for them as a community to band together um, in the unique work that they do and to um, foster you know career development and, and longevity as cardiac ICU bedside nurses. So I thought that that was really cool. And, and one of the most fun sessions that that I was uh, able to attend at the conference. I think that was my favorite session to Deanna. I, when we were discussing this nursing session in the planning committee meetings, um, there was like no doubt, like this must be a plenary session. Um, but I think there were some feelings like we never know, you know, will this be well attended or not? Um, and it was evident that everyone in the society values bedside nurses. It was like an overflowing session. I think it might've been the most full session. I mean, truthfully looking around, we didn't count heads, but I think it just speaks to really the value of bedside staff and like, what can we do to make sure that we are partnering with them and making them feel like we appreciate them every day. Um, I thought Josh's talk was really valuable um, in really taking a step back and looking at how our interactions are going with bedside staff and what can we do to make it better and to make them feel valued because we need them. They're the people who are spending the most number of minutes with the patient every single day. And I want them to stay not only because I know that more experienced staff produce better outcomes, but also because like I want the bedside staff in my unit to feel as engaged in the process of making a difference in outcomes the way that we feel. Um, and I think when we go to these meetings, we see like the progress that's being made over time in cardiac ICU care. And I'm not sure that the bedside staff always get the opportunity to view the progress and trajectory in the same way. And so I hope that nurses are able to continue to come to this meeting. We had more nurses than ever before. And I hope that in two years, we have even more. Yeah, without a doubt, it was one of my favorite moments of the meeting was the um, the rescuing, the, uh, the experienced bedside nurse rescuing an endangered species plenary. I think as it was getting started and as it was going and you saw how well it was going, I was like elbowing Kristen. I was like, this is incredible. This is incredible. Uh, and a lot of the credit goes to Lillian and Jill Zender and Mina for, for crafting the plan and, and recruiting the speakers who are all phenomenal. And the award ceremony itself, Dina, if you got choked up watching the videos, like the best seat in the house was in the front row to look, or the folks on the stage to look over at the award winners as they're watching the videos for the first time. I actually joked or kind of kind of joked that maybe we should have a camera on the award winners at the same time simultaneously so the entire audience could see their reaction to the videos because it was really awesome you know i think we knew that we weren't going to solve the burnout problem and fix you know all of the complexities of the issue but at a minimum you know we had to we had to talk about it and it was done really really beautifully celebrating you know that profession and, and everything that they do and have done for all of us as their team members, you know, over the years. Yeah, just to give you guys some of the backstory, even from the board level, I, I do remember that we were having a board meeting about this issue with burnout and all of the things that were happening with bedside nursing and traveling. And we wanted to just 
kind of complain about the whole thing. And one of the board's members actually called us out on it and said, well, we're a professional healthcare society. What are we going to do about it? And as a board, I, th- I think we need to lead. And I believe it was Shanker who who really called us out on it. And I think one of the responses to that was this idea that we should celebrate the experienced bedside nurse. And really thanks to Jill for making sure that this plenary was going to be a celebration. Because I think it could have gone in some ways where we only talked about all the reasons why nurses are going to be burnt out and they're leaving the profession. But I distinctly remember her always saying, no, it needs to be a celebration. And then you, Jason, and Kristen being so receptive to the idea of an award. I, I can't even remember in our program committee how that came up, but you both were immediately so receptive to that happening in this plenary session. And then was it you, Jason, that actually came up with the title of the session, which I just thought was so funny and so perfect because it really does describe a profession that is very much in danger of going extinct. And I think when we have travelers as much as we do, because we are dependent on them now, and there are many financially good reasons why people do it, you can get this idea that a nurse is a nurse. And for some administrations, they think, okay, well, it's a warm body, a nurse is a nurse. And what we wanted to emphasize over and over again was, no, that person that has 20 to 30 years of experience is a distinct species. They are the Navy SEALs of CVICU nursing. And we need to figure out a way to celebrate them, to keep them, because their addition to a team in the CVICU is unquantifiable. Like you cannot replace them with any sort of technology, their gut instinct. And I always joke that if we're willing to pay millions of dollars for an AI system that will detect someone who's ill, we should really be paying millions of dollars for that experienced bedside nurse who can quickly tell you if someone is getting ill, even if the vitals don't change. I mean, it's just something they've cultivated with their gut gut instinct that we will never, I don't think, ever be able to truly quantify or replace with tech. So I thought that session was just so amazing. And having had the privilege of reading all 30 nominees, I don't want to undervalue how many of those 30 really did deserve to win the award. And initially, it was actually supposed to go to five people, but we really could not decide. And so ended up giving it to six. And those six were so deserving. But even among the other 24, there were just so many deserving nominees. So I I really hope that they continue to put their submissions in year after year. And then just to say the way the units and the hospitals responded with those videos, just like you, Jason, I was able to see them from the front row and just seeing their response to it was just amazing. It was one of my favorite moments of the meeting. You know, I want to build on to that, what you just said, all of you actually, but especially you, Lillian, that I think the society has an important role to play in um, communicating this message that a nurse is a nurse and it's actually not true. Um, We need to be talking more about how specialized nursing is important in this field and that without um, nurses, um, the outcomes are not going to be the same. I mean, we heard that in the opening plenary when uh, Jean Connor talked about this. Um, we have the evidence, studies have been done that nurses do contribute to um, more experienced nurses, uh, do contribute to better outcomes. 
And and yet um, the whole world is in this situation right now. We certainly see it in the U.S., I know. Um, but, you know, look in England with the NHS striking, um, you know, nurses striking there. And it's a problem absolutely everywhere. And I, I think that there, this could be a role that the society can play in the future of, of promoting this very important message. We're going to be seeing children with congenital heart disease forever. We don't have um, ways to prevent CHD. Um, and so the only our method of prevention is surgical at this point. And so we do need to have and protect this profession and the people who take it on. Thanks for sharing all that. I love hearing the backstory and like the intentionality behind all of these decisions. It was really cool. All right. Before we shift gears and talk more about the science, I do want to thank our episode sponsors, who are all of our meeting supporters. We could not have done this amazing meeting without their support. All of our meeting supporters and exhibitors are viewable on our website. Uh, just go to PCICS.org and go to the meeting website and you'll be able to click on their links and go see all about all of these great hospitals and companies that are helping bring all this education to our members. All right, let's go ahead and shift gears and talk a little bit about science now. I have to say, you know, as great as all of the talks were, I think it's always very um, interesting to hear what everybody took home and implemented in their practice, or obviously maybe it's a little too soon for that. Um, but I'd like to hear from everyone sort of scientifically, what was a session that sort of stood out to you, or you learned something that you're going to implement in your practice from, or that you've taken home um, with you and said, oh, I have to read more about this. But uh, let's talk a little bit about the science. I'll go first, I guess, since uh, <laughs> since I posed this difficult question. Obviously, I think in the literature and on social media, we've been hearing a little bit about interposed abdominal um, CPR for you know the last year or two. But um, this is the first time I've heard anything scientific about it presented at a meeting, so that was really interesting. Obviously, I have not had a case where I've had to do that yet, but uh, it definitely triggered me to go read more and. Um, hopefully those sessions are recorded so that we can um, continue to learn more about that. But that was one of the things that stood out to me. I agree, David. I came home and told all the nurse practitioners and the bedside nurses, I was like, okay, the next time a single ventricle codes, this is what I'm going to do. Don't look at me like I'm crazy <laughs> because I was, I also, um, I had actually started reading about it before the meeting. And then there was that session. I can't remember what initially spurred my interest in it. And then, oh, I think it was one of our podcasts actually, where we had uh, Tia Raymond on. And she had mentioned it and I had started reading about it. And then they had the uh, session and um, I was fascinated by it. I always also like the uh, the pro-con debates. You know, I thought those were were interesting. I have strong feelings about bivalerudin and ECMO. So that one was interesting. <laughs> Deanna, did you feel like after hearing the session on the abdominal compression that you could do it? Or is it something that does require some training? Because unfortunately, I missed that session. So I was, well, number one, I was compelled by the physiology behind it. And I thought that, you know, um, the speaker did a really good job of explaining that and why theoretically it should make a difference. Um, and then the few studies where he was talking about, you know, the diastolic pressure and the coronary perfusion pressure when you do have this increased pressure. So um, 
he, there is a video on his um, school's website. You guys are going to have to help me because I can't remember the name of the speaker. Um, but there's actually a video where they go over how to do it. And I believe he showed that video in the session. Um, but there's actually a link to the video. If you just Google like intra-abdominal uh, or interposed abdominal CPR, you can watch a video. So I do think that I should probably practice it on a mannequin. Like we should probably practice it as a, like simulate it, but um, it doesn't look that hard. That was definitely something I've heard from my group. So here at Phoenix Children's, I asked a group that went to PCICS to email me things that there were their one to three takeaways from the meeting and that interposed abdominal compressions came up quite a bit. And the other one that came up quite a bit was the PA banding for LV failure. So I think that was in the pro-con debate and that had quite an impact on people. One suggestion I did get from the from my group, which I think could be a good idea for the next meeting, was to have the pro-con actually case-based. So have it a clinical scenario and then the two people debate two controversial things that they could do to approach the patient. Yeah, that's a great idea. One other thing that surprised me in the pro-con session was um, I thought that, you know, some of the things that we do in my ICU are like, oh, you know, nobody else does this. And, you know, it was supposed to be the controversial position. Um, yet when they actually took the poll at the end, it's like, oh, no, like 70% of the ICUs are doing this now. So um, it was just really interesting to see how the field has evolved, because when I was a fellow, this was not something, you know, so per, like one of the things I'm talking about is intracardiac lines being like the long-term um, post-operative access point. Like we do that for all of our patients who are going to be in the ICU for more than a couple of days. But, um, you know, that's not something, that's not a strategy that I had ever been exposed to before. And so just seeing how widespread some of these things have become across our field and across our discipline throughout the country is really interesting. I was most excited by the sessions on Sunday about like how to make decisions, you know, complex decision-making, I'm pulling up the agenda and how you make them and the role of choice architecture, group think, et cetera. And that whole session blew my mind, um, especially Ken Patchpole, I think is how you say his name, but just thinking about my thinking and really was so humbled, you know, as, as, scientists as physicians, we strive to be so objective and, you know, data driven. And just for somebody to remind me of my, you know, the constructs around our thinking, around our training, around our discussions, how much weight do you put in various um, uh, information, pieces of information? How does that impact you? That was just so like, that blew my mind. And I've been noticing ever since I've come in coming back from the conference, just noticing like how I'm receiving information and sort of checking myself and thinking like, am I being objective listening to this piece of data? Or, you know, why is it so hard for me to break away from this anecdote or this way that I've always done thing or this sort of group think I'm in the safe environment where everybody else thinks the same way as, as I do. And I don't know that I've necessarily changed my practice, but it, it definitely has introduced a little bit more just curiosity, I think, in the way that I give and receive information. I thought that was a really interesting and well done session. 
Yeah, I think just highlighting people's cognitive biases and how we as humans are actually programmed, because there is a component of us that through evolution developed programming for our own survival. And I think the more we understand that, the more we can understand ourselves. And in one of the other talks I was in, people talk about a user manual. You better understand your own user manual because otherwise you will be subject to all of these biases that really humans develop for survival. I think I came away with one of the same potential practice changes that y'all have mentioned, you know, interposed abdominal CPR. That talk opened up my eyes a little bit and particularly the the poll, I think at the end when people responded, you know, how many of you have done it? And I think it was, I, I could be wrong, but I think it was like 25 to 35% of the audience said that they had performed it. And I was like, man, am I, am I missing something here? Uh, you know, I'd heard about it, but I never really thought to perform it, but it seems like I mean, if Tia Raymond is is doing it and she responded to the tweet and she said, yeah, you should look it up, look at the data, I've been doing it for a while. Um, you know, she's been on AHA CPR uh, guideline development. Uh, Dan Stromberg, I believe, was the one who gave the talk from Dell Children's Hospital. Yeah, I came around uh, to thinking about doing it. I think to your point, Dina, uh, I had to think about who am I going to tell about this? You know, not just the nurses, but the surgeons. I, just in case uh, I get some weird, weird looks uh, for the way I'm performing CPR and when's the right time to do it. You know, if you're not getting return of circulation in a certain period of time, do you try something different? Is that the right way to, to bring it in? But it's at least got me thinking about it. The other, you know, the other kind of science that I enjoyed hearing about in the meeting was the research plenary or the scientific advances in the field and, and PCICS's role in that and footprint in that. You know, everything from hearing about the productivity of, of core PCICS from Chris Master Petro uh, to care curves in the white paper committee and, and everything that everyone's doing that uh, not, not all of us, I think, are aware of how, how much of a force PCICS has become in the science of our field. Uh, I think we had, you know, over 20 platform presentations of abstracts, 180 poster presentations, with about 20% of those being moderated poster presentations. So, you know, the other, one of the other big visions of the committee was giving investigators and, and particularly junior investigators uh, a place to present their research and, and be heard and, and be challenged and collaborate. So for me, a couple of things that really stood out, uh, I can't comment so much on the science. I'm always in awe of everything that happens in an ICU and a cardiac ICU. Um, but um, I, I was impressed with the topics of the plenaries and that I was impressed that not everything was about a clinical topic um, um, overall in a the conference. There were so many things about how we organize teams, how we, um, you know, build teams, how we um, orient new people. Um, and so I was in the plenary that uh, where we discussed originalization, which is amazing that we are talking about these you know, difficult topics. Um, and um, it's almost unfair that clinicians have to discuss this. Um, um, but it, I'm sure that it shows up in um, in most of your work. Um, so I thought that that was, um, that was very interesting, um, where we discussed, you know, transparency, regionalization, um, and a lot of important points were um, in centers of excellence were brought up in, in those, um, in those plenaries. Um, one piece I wanted to, uh, to comment on is I still wish as a representative of the international committee, um, I still wish we had 
more international representation at this meeting. Um, I um, see it all around the world. This uh, science and these discussions are uh, desperately needed, um, especially in low and middle income countries uh, where they don't have uh, neither enough an intensivist nor enough nurses, um, let alone advanced practice nurses um, that almost doesn't exist anywhere else. So uh, I do I believe that there is um, something more that can be done to invite more people from those areas. Um, whether we do um, a, a concerted effort for virtual options so more people can attend, I'm sure with the recordings that will be that will be one way to do it. Um, or there is scholarships for people to attend it. I really think that that's an, a missed opportunity. My organization sponsored a nurse to come, which is actually Bruna Curi from. Brazil, she's um, uh, also a co-chair of the International Committee. And um, I think she was the only nurse who was not from North America or from a Western country at this meeting. And she was blown away. She said this was the best conference she's ever attended. Um, she came back with a million ideas of things that she wants to change and implement in their practice. Um, she's already doing a lot of education, but um, I, I think that the impact can be wonderful and big um, if we make an effort to invite people from, um, from under represented countries and regions. So that would be one recommendation that I have for, you know, for the future. Hey, Bistra, I think with the development and the new initiation of the PCICS Foundation, I think the board is very hopeful that that will be used, those monies will be used and allocated some of it for scholarships, just like you were able to do with Bruna, which I think is so amazing. And I think that is something that the society should absolutely support. Yes, thank you, Bista, for bringing that up. It it definitely reminds us that this meeting is so impactful for the people who can go, and so any way that we can make it more accessible is it's going to be a huge value added to whoever can come. Well, I just wanted to start wrapping this up. I did want to summarize that this meeting was excellent, and honestly one of the most diverse meetings that I've been to in recent years. And um, it just reminded me of how fast our field evolves because the topics that we discussed in this meeting are completely different from the things we discussed in the last in-person meeting. And also just how integral we all are to one another and what we do. And so I, I applaud both, you know, Jason, Kristen, and the program committee for helping put together such a great meeting. So before we wrap up this uh, podcast, is there any last words or any lessons learned that you want to share with our listeners from your experience running this meeting? Yeah, I've got one, uh, one more, I guess, moment to to comment on that that maybe fits well at this point and it was the anthony chang lecture by by dr shecker damian there were a couple a couple of things that she said that and actually the paul said before before uh, she got to the stage that i think were um were awesome for me uh, paul had mentioned as he was introducing laura that they met at a pcics meeting uh 25 years ago and he said that these connections that you all are having in the audience matter and they're important. And, and that was kind of like the, the statement I felt like for getting back to in-person and, and making those connections again. And then two things that, that Laura said in her talk. Number one, she mentioned that at times throughout her career, she's felt like an imposter uh, and, and that notion of imposter syndrome and that vulnerability to say it on that platform in that moment. Um, there have been times when, you know, I'm 
eight years into being an attending a, in cardiac intensive care. And there are moments where I'm you know, leaving the hospital and I see the helicopter landing on the hospital on the top. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. They're bringing a child in for, uh, for the team to take care of. And I forget that sometimes I'm in that moment with our team that a child is being brought in. I kind of have that moment of, am I, am I really whipped for this? Is this, uh, have I been trained well enough to do this? I think we all have those moments of feeling like an imposter at times. And I thought it was neat how she mentioned it and after 30 years of experience uh, during her award lecture. And then the other thing she, she commented on was finding the balance between the technology and the mission, right? So all of the monitors and the physiologic data that we constantly have streaming in, but giving us all a reminder that there's a patient behind all those monitors and there's a family behind all those monitors and, and swinging the pendulum maybe a little bit back towards getting getting to the bedside for, for the humanistic side of what we do. It was, uh, I thought it was a great speech and, and a great award winner. Yeah, I echo a lot of actually what Jason said. I think when I'm thinking back about the big takeaways for me, it's the importance of connectedness and really like that's how we're going to continue to grow in our field. And just the feeling of that what we're doing is important. I think having seen the parent side was really probably one of the most impactful things for me in this meeting and seeing that um, often we don't get to see the kids go home. Like, I mean, we don't discharge them from the ICU or not frequently. Um, and so we don't get to see that what we're doing is impactful. The patients that we often remember are the difficult patients and possibly the patients that don't make it. And so seeing the perspective that what we are doing is making a difference and that there are ways that we can do it better is both encouraging and humbling. And I think I left this meeting kind of evaluating what can I do in my everyday practice to kind of bring the connectedness into my unit and also um, maybe change how I interact with families and uh, particularly like bedside nurses to really improve outcomes. Because I think what people walk away with their experience from the ICU is um, they obviously want their child to be the best that is possible, but they also it's important that they walk away with a feeling that the team cared and handled things with grace. Um, and I think that is an area that I personally can grow in um, and the team as a whole probably can grow in. Can I just add something? Um, I think Louise Callow's lecture was incredibly inspiring as well of, of everything that she's, you know, she outlined in, in her career and the gaps that she's filled. I think that was, um, that was very inspiring lecture. Yeah, Beastra, thank you for saying that. I think I actually texted her after her lecture and was like, thank you for just like creating this job that I get to go and do every day. I mean, truthfully, like paving the way um, for so many nurse practitioners to grow a meaningful position in the cardiac care. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us to speak about the annual meeting on this edition of News Talk on the PCICS podcast. It was great having all of you on and it was actually really good to just reminisce on the meeting and look forward to getting uh, access to these recordings in the future. So to all our listeners, please don't forget to look out for uh, an announcement in the near future in your inbox about how you can get access to the recordings from the meeting. But thank you again, for everyone, for joining us. To all our listeners, thank you for listening to the PCICS podcast. And please don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And visit our website, PCICS.org, where you can find more information about how to become a member and enjoy updated info on educational resources, meetings, job listings, and see all of our sponsor web pages, which, again, this would not have been possible without all of our supporters. The song I Don't Know by Grapes was used under a Creative Commons 3.0 attribution license.